So someone, the, it's about the blessed man. Okay, and I'm using man generically because I'm not a woke person. <laughs> or we would say the blessed poison. Look at the word of the Lord. Stand with me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chafe which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I pray, Father God, that you would open up our our hearts and minds tonight. Just reveal yourself through your word to us and your will for us, Lord God. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So you'll see here in the psalm, there, there are two key things that you see here. One is the godly man, he disconnects. And I think that, that's key to understand. To, to engage something, to connect to something, you have to disconnect from something else. It's a simple principle of life. You have to give something up to get something. You want to be healthy? You have to give up eating too much food. And then you have to engage in moving more. You want to become smarter. You have to disengage from the television, okay, from entertainment, and engage in, in books. But it's a simple, a simple truth. In the spiritual life, we need to disconnect from the darkness, we need to separate, we need to turn away, we need to move away from the darkness, from evil, from evil influences, from evil people, from the things that rob us from God. Things that rob us from God's blessings, from his presence, from his peace, from his holiness. And essentially things that, that ultimately bring death. And in the disconnect, okay, in the Bible, this is where repentance comes in. Repentance is a turning away from the things that are keeping you from God. Repentance is a, is a lifestyle. It's not a, not a one-time thing. You know, I, just, I, I decided to repent when I you know, turned to Jesus and was born again, but I continue to repent throughout my life, turning away from the world, turning away from the things of Satan, turning away from any sort of, of sin and, and wickedness. And then the opposite of disconnect is to connect. So in, with the connection, we connect and embrace the Lord. We embrace His will. We embrace His word. We embrace His way, His Son. And we essentially, we, we bond, we, we, we connect, we engage with the Lord. When we disconnect and connect, again, there's blessing. And that, that is what Psalm 1 is all about. It's about the godly man essentially disconnecting from darkness and then connecting to the light. So let's, let's look at this first thing here. The blessed man's disconnect. Okay, and you see that right there in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Who do you listen to? Who do you allow to speak into your life? Right? Who do you take counsel from? Who are the, the, the preachers and the teachers? Okay? The, um, the commentators on television uh, and TV. The authors... Are they people who basically are enhancing your spirituality and your walk with Jesus, or people who are taking away from it? Now, I have a few interests in my life. Of course, the main interest is Jesus. That's primary. Jesus is the center of my life, and he's the circumference of my life. In other words, all the other things he will basically encompass. I also have an interest in the martial arts. And I'm careful 
who I allow to speak into my life from the martial arts. I have an interest in finance. I have an interest in politics. I have uh, an interest in, in these different things. But again, who am I allowing to speak into my life? It's like the, the, you know, the political realm, the economic realm. Do I allow communists to speak in my life? No! <laughs> Socialists to speak in my life? No, I know, I know what they've done and what they've done to the church for the last 1,100 uh, years. So just, who do you allow to speak into your life? He does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't, he doesn't stand with sinners, standing with them in their path that leads to destruction, nor sit in the seats of the scornful, the scornful who mock God. And Faith and I were just talking about this. She said, I'm amazed at, at Christians who will actually are so blind to the deception that's happening in the world, who will sit in the very counsel of the scornful, people who hate God. They hate God. They hate Jesus. They hate us. <laughs> they hate his will. They hate his, his, his word. Yet they'll, they'll sit in the seat of, of the scornful. So, listening to people who mock the Lord who blaspheme him, who hate everything, you know, that he essentially stands for. So blessed is the man, again, who basically he disconnects from these very ungodly negative influences. And I, I want to say this, there is a, a truth. Whatever you love, you're going to hate the opposite. Oh, we're not supposed to hate Pastor Frank. You know, we're Christians. We're not supposed to hate. Well, I'm going to show you in Scripture, it says over and over again that, that the godly will hate evil. It's just, a, again, a, a principle of opposites, right? If you love peace, you will hate chaos. I hate chaos. I despise chaos. And in, 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 when I look at the chaos in the world, when I look at the chaos in America right now, when I look at the chaos that I see sometimes in the church, I hate chaos because I, I, I love peace. If you love health, you will hate sickness. If you love God, you will hate evil. And this is repeated over and over and over again. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. It's simple again, the law of opposites. If you love God, if you fear God, you're going to hate evil. Proverbs 13, 5. A righteous man hates falsehood, but a wicked man acts disgustingly and shamefully. The, the, the righteous man, the godly man is going to hate lies. They're going to hate deception. Proverbs, uh, Psalm 97:10. Hate evil, you who love the Lord. Who preserve the souls of his godly ones, he delivers them from the hand of the wicked. And Romans chapter 12, 9, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor evil. <laughs> That's a, a word abhor. That means to regard with absolute disgust. You know when you're disgusted? You get disgusted with the evil that you see around you. Maybe sometimes you get disgusted with your own flesh. Your own sin. So abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Psalm 110, uh, 101, verse 3, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. So just, again, what about the things that we, we are looking at, the things that we read, the things that we watch, the movies, the TV shows? You don't realize this. Every time you watch a movie, you're allowing, okay, the, the, the writer, okay, the screenplay people and the actors to come into your head with their philosophies, with their influence. And they, they are, you know what, they are, they are, they are programming you. You are being pro. By the way, if you realize you're being programmed tonight, I hope I am a good programmer and a good teacher. I hope the Holy Spirit is ultimately your programmer. But TV, 
what are they called? TV pro, pro, programs. They're programming you. I think in, in America, they, 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 work, they, they, they program us to just follow along. Just follow along. Don't question anything. Don't, qu- you know, don't question. Don't question your leaders. Don't, don't question those in authority. How dare you question those in authority in Hollywood? How dare you question us? All right, you're just a bunch of deplorables in a big basket. I saw uh, some, some actress, some, some woman from Hollywood saying that. Like she's, like, she's talking about the red states. Who are the reds? Well, the red states are where most of the Christians are. I hope you know that. In California, New York, we live, we live, let me tell you, we live behind enemy lines, and this is a mission field. But she was just, just talking about them, that they're, they're just so ignorant and so stupid. That, that, who are they? Because, you know, the, the smart people are from California and New York. That's why all the, and by the way, that's, well, you don't want to go to those places, right? You don't want to walk down the street in those places. Go. The smart people have really made such great rules and laws. I mean, you get, you, you get killed walking down the street. But just again, who do you allow to speak into your life? Do you allow people who are going to add to your relationship in Jesus or subtract from it? Are they going to bring well-being and shalom into your life? Or are they going to bring chaos into your life? Are they going to enhance your relationship with God or detract from your relationship with God? The godly man, again, he detaches, right? He disconnects from these negative influences. In Psalm 26, verse 3 through 5, For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. That's disconnect. That's detachment. That is to hate evil and love God. To abhor abhor evil and fear God. That's a a key principle of of a godly person. Take a few minutes. Look at your life. Are there things you need to detach from? Are there things you need to disconnect from? Are there things that you're allowing into your life that ultimately can end you in hell? They can can take you to hell. Or they can just make a living hell out of your life. I'll tell you that. They can make a living hell out of your marriage. They can make a living hell out of your children. They can make a living hell out of your career. Do you need to detach and disconnect from these negative influences that are coming into your life. Maybe on your handheld device, could be on your computer, could be things that are coming to you through the television, or things just that people, you have allowed people to come into your life. Look, if you're married to an unbeliever, you don't have a choice. I mean, you really just have to, you have to just build, you know, you, you can't isolate, but you can insulate. If you have, uh, you know, uh, unsaved parents, you can't isolate, but you can insulate. But there are, there are other people, you, you, you know, I mean, you can just, you can remove yourself from their influence. There's people, I don't want them speaking into my life. Family members, I don't want them speaking into my life. I refuse, I refuse to allow them to speak into my life. So I think it's, again... Take a moment. Take a moment. Examine yourself. And um, I don't know what we do with the uh, TV cameras, if we just shut them off for a little while or just have them focus on the cross or something. And if people are watching from home, all the invalids and the people who are very um, weak and sick, God bless you all, may the Lord heal you, and all the lazy people, maybe you'll look and you need to detach from your laziness tonight. Okay, take a few moments.
Okay. Scripture says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. 1 Corinthians 13, I think it's 1 Corinthians 13, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And um, if you're doing things in your life that are not right, if your walk is not right, better to be aware of that and to be dealing with it with God than to be ignoring it, blind to it, or making believe that it doesn't exist, which is the, the situation of the church of Laodicea, which they say, you know, we're fine. We, 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 we're rich. We have everything we need. There's, there's nothing wrong. Jesus says, no, you don't realize you're, you're blind, you're naked, right? You're, you're far off from me. I'm standing at the door and knocking to come into your life. I'm not in your life. And if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and him with me. But Laodicea, that's, that's a very, it, it, I believe it's the church at the end of the age. I think it's where we are right now at this period in, in church history. That's the church today. But people are just, they're, they're fine. They're, you know, I'm okay. My spiritual life, I'm going to heaven if I die. They think. But they're blind to their sin in their life. And so, better to be aware. And, you know, the Lord always, you see, Jesus, when people came to him, when sinners came to him with their sin issues, he rejoiced in that because they were honest. Whereas the Pharisees were hiding. They were fakes. They were phonies. But the sinners, and he said, you know, the tax collectors, prostitutes, the sinners... They were coming to him in their sin. Hey, look, I've got struggles. I've got issues, Lord. You know, and and he embraced them. Those are the people who are entering to the kingdom of God. So it's, it's it's better, again, to be completely honest with God. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Because if you are blind to things, he will bring them to light. Then you can come to the Lord, and it, it may happen instantaneously, but sometimes you have to work through things. Pastor Sam said something powerful a couple weeks ago. We were talking about a brother in the church who's struggling with alcohol, and, um, and he's really struggling, and I can see it's just, he's in pain, and he wants to break loose of it. But the, the words that you used was, he just, he needs to learn, right? Like the Lord needs to teach him and learn him as to how to overcome this. And again, it, it would be great if it happened in just a moment, but it may not. It may take some time. But again, he's, he, at least he's aware of his issue. And I think that's, you know, that's key. So when, when you're aware of your sins, then again, that's where again, you can begin, you can disconnect. You can move away. And in the disconnection then, again, the second part of the, of the psalm, the blessed man's connect. And he connects with God. He connects with the Lord through his word. So Psalm verse, uh, verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So he, he connects with God through his word. And I want you to notice the word, the word delights. The word is chafetz, um, delights. It, it's something that is extremely delightful, Something extremely pleasurable. Something, it's, it, it's feel good. <laughs> the word of God is feel good. It, it brings joy. It brings peace. It brings happiness. And there's this, this hunger of the soul for that, for that sweetness of the word. So there's, there's, there's a love for God's word in this man. In Psalm 119, 47 through 48, and Psalm 119 repeats this over and over again. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. And I shall meditate on your statutes. In verse 97 of Psalm Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. And in Psalm 119, 167, my soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. So, again, there's a, a, a kind of a disgust and a hatred for the darkness, but there's this 
absolute delight and love for the light and the light of God's word and the light of communing with God. It's the, it's the avenue that God has given us to communicate with him, connect with him. So he says, I, I meditate on God's word day and night. Right? I meditate day and night upon the word. And uh, Psalm again, verse 2. And in his law, he meditates day and night. The law is the word of God. He's not just specifically talking about the Ten Commandments or the 613 commandments of Moses. He's talking about, the, the in, in this case, the entire Tanakh that was available to David at the time. The full Bible had not, full Old Testament hadn't been written yet. So the word there meditates is Hagar. It's like, it's like we get Hagar in, you know, the um, concubine of, of Abraham, to meditate, to think upon, to contemplate, to memorize, to reflect upon, to consider, to ponder, even the word, the word to mutter, to, to get together and we speak. Right? We speak, we, we take, a, a, in a Bible study, we take a passage and we, we mutter, we, we talk about it. So I want to I show you, this is a word that, that God, you know, as I'm preparing this message over the last few weeks, this is a word that God just gave me, I think it was on Sunday morning. It's a, a essentially it's a comparison of the word of God with, with agriculture, with a farmer. So I want to read it to you. It says, give ear and hear my voice. Listen and hear my speech, right? Okay, God's saying, hear my word. So then it says, does the plowman keep plowing all day to sow? Can I ask you that? I know you're, you're not farmers. <laughs> but does, does, does the farmer, does all he do is plow? No, if all he did was plow, he wouldn't get a crop, right? So it, it, it's, it, you're going to see something here. There's, there's different ways that God ministers the word to us. Does he keep turning his soil and breaking the clods? There's a place and time for that, but it's not something that, that he, he, he is done all the time. And when he has leveled its surface, does he not sow the black cumin and scatter the cumin? Plant the wheat in rows. Notice now there's variety here. Cumin, wheat, look, the barley in the appointed place and the spelt in its place. For he instructs him in the right judgment, his God teaches him. For the black cumin is not threshed with the dressing sledge, nor is the cartwheel rolled over the cumin. But the black cumin is beaten out with a stick and the cumin with a rod. Bread flour must be ground. Therefore he does not thresh it forever. Break it with its cartwheel or crush it with its horsemen. This also comes from the Lord of hosts who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. It's talking here. Okay, we have how many books in the Bible? 66, right? You got 66. You got 66 in the uh, books in the Bible. And in the word of God, God uses many different ways to teach us. He's teaching us heavenly things. And he's got to bring them down to an earthly understanding. <laughs> he's, te he's teaching spiritual things, and he has to bring them down to us in a material understanding. So the concept here is all these different things, these different seeds... These, these different things that the farmer is doing. What does the Lord use to teach us? He, he uses so many different techniques. He uses hyperboles. He uses parables. He uses stories. He uses similes. He uses proverbs. He uses beatitudes. He uses life lessons. He uses illustrations. I think, I think it was Chuck Missler, over 70 different techniques that Jesus used in teaching us in the Gospels. Seventy different ones. I just, I just mentioned, I think, six or seven. But he uses all these, different, all these different varieties, right? Not just plowing, not just breaking up the, the unplowed ground. He uses all these different techniques to teach us his word. And he calls us to use different techniques to learn his word. Tonight, you're using one of them. 
the study of the Word of God, the memorization of the Word of God, the meditation of the Word of God, the speaking of the Word of God, the discussing of the Word of God, the practicing of the Word of God. These are all different techniques that the Lord uses, right? And he wants us to be using to be able to take the word of God in. The blah, blah, blah Christian, I'm going to put it as plain as I can, all they know is coming to church and hearing me, blah, 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 blah. And they're missing so much. They're missing out on so much. So I want, to, I want to talk to you here for a few minutes. I'm going to show you some things on meditating on God's Word. So I meditate on God's Word every morning. It's my favorite thing that I do. The meditation on the Word of God is my favorite thing. And it's where my sermons come from. It's where they all begin. It's, it's essentially the, you know, the, the, the breaking up the ground and um, before I get into all the fancy things that preachers talk about, homiletics, right? Before, before I get into any of those, you know, those things and studying the words and looking at the Greek and looking at the Hebrew and looking at the historical context without using any commentaries, without using a concordance, without using anything else, just me and the Holy Spirit meditating on God's Word. So some of the things, some of the things that I do... And um, I take notes. I write in the margin. I write reflective notes. I have thoughts on the passage. Um, I interpret, trying to come to understand, what is God saying here? What is he saying to me? What must I do? Those three questions. Those three questions that I ask all the time. Uh, I may paraphrase the verse in the margin. I may, I may link in, as the Holy Spirit's leading me, other passages that support the text. Like here we are in Psalm 1, but I have um, referred to Isaiah 29, Psalm 119. I've gone to Psalm 28. I've used a lot of other things. So my brain, as you study the Word, becomes a concordance. You know, concordance is, you look up the word faith, and it gives you how faith is used in every passage from Genesis to the book of the Revelation. But, but when we're in the Word of God consistently... If you're in the Word of God consistently, your brain becomes a natural concordance. And so when you're, you're studying the Word, I, I encourage you folks, I like the Bible with the big margin. You can pick them up on Amazon or CBD, uh, Christian Book Distributors, and uh, boy, I encourage you to get one. God doesn't get mad when you're writing in your Bible. Okay, just don't scroll us out any of his verses. Another thing, another thing I do, I keep a journal. And um, so here's a, here's a, a passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What I write in my journal, and, and I'll write a number of things in my journal, but I'll basically put a passage and I'll write it out. Now, I've been writing out since January 1st this year, Psalm 1824, every day, at the top of my journal. So I put down the date, I put down the day, and then I write out the verse, Psalm 1824. Does anybody know what Psalm 1824 is? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. I've, I've, after writing it down, I guess for the last six months, I've memorized it. But I want to live that out. This is the day the Lord has made. I want to rejoice and be glad in this day. And that's kind of been my verse for the year. Sometimes I'll write down other verses. But that's, again, just the meditation on the Word of God. Another thing, I will draw illustrations. So here's a, a beautiful, this isn't mine. I couldn't do it that well. Psalm one, right, like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither and everything it does prospers. So that, that person, I think that had to be a woman. Um, they're usually more creative than us men. And I'll show you this. I am not, I, I am an action-oriented person. 
So just this stuff, this stuff doesn't always, I say, come natural to me. I don't want to show you. <laughs> I'm going to show you my illustrations. So this is from the book of Zechariah, chapter 5 and 6. And as I'm going through, these are, at Zechariah, it's one like parable after another. It's one like figurative illustration after another. So you have these two angels holding a basket. And uh, right, there's a woman in the basket. And then you have the four chariots and the four horses. So I, I drew, right, I drew the horse. That's a horse. That's not a dog. That's a horse. And that's a chariot. And then it, it talks about the, the, the crown. Here's, here's Revelation chapter uh, 4, the throne in heaven, right, with the rainbow. And then you have the, the candelabra, the seven uh, candlestick. And um, you have the four living creatures there. The angel, the cherubim. And, uh, I, I, and there in chapter 5, the scroll, right? The seven-sealed scroll. But you know what that does is, you give me a chapter of Scripture. I can't say that I'll do this with every chapter of Scripture, but I can tell you, for the most part, what's in those chapters of Scripture. Because, again, these illustrate, a picture says a thousand words. And so that's something, that's something I do in my meditation. Here's another, another thing. This is called mapping. So I do this in my journal. I will, um, if you'll notice here, I'll put the scripture verse, okay? And this is, again, this is how, this is how sermons come from. And I will take, um, say, it could be a word in the scripture verse, and I will make a note. Sometimes I will link that to other passages of scripture, and then um, I'll take another word and I'll make a note. Another word and I'll make a note. And I go through that and I'll map out the entire passage of Scripture. Sometimes um, I will have multiple circles working out. So be, there might be five circles for that green circle. Our brains, our brains naturally work, by the way, if you know anything about mind mapping, and, and I've taught this, I've taught this to corporations, that our brains work more naturally, okay, with um, mind mapping and connections, then say, let's say you're, you're listening to a sermon tonight using an outline. So you're going to use Roman numeral number one, capital letter A, number one, okay, small um, numeral, you know. And our brains don't work naturally with that, but our brains, you know, you think of this, when we're thinking of something, it triggers a thought, which then triggers another thought, which triggers another thought, which triggers another thought. Now, if you're thinking, you're thinking creatively and you're thinking in a way that's focused, you're going to come up with thoughts, and I really believe the Holy Spirit helps you to be looking at a passage of Scripture and linking other things that God has revealed to you throughout the Scriptures to it. And it really becomes, it becomes a, a, a fun adventure. And I want to give you one, one more thing. Uh, just another thing that I, that I do is just thinking and reflecting upon the Word of God. So here's a, here's a passage, 2 Timothy 4.17 the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. And I will, I will take that passage and just stop. And in my journal, I will write about all the times that the Lord has stood with me and given me strength. And I started thinking about, I'm starting going back years and years ago. Maybe even before I was saved. Maybe I started to think about those early years in the Lord when um, I decided to enter into the, the ministry and started to study for the ministry, when I was led by the Holy Spirit to start this church. And how many times, and there's been many trials and tribulations, many times where I felt very, very alone. I felt like it was just me against the world. But God always stood with me, and he always gave me strength. And I'll just, I'll just be writing, writing those things down. So those are, those are some techniques that I use that, you know, when I say to you, hey, I, I love breakfast with Jesus, it's not boring. Some of you have boring devotional lives. And I understand why you're bored. And why you have a hard time focusing in the morning in prayer or reading the Word for five minutes. Because you're boring. <laughs> and your devotions are boring. Sorry, it's true. I think, you, you know, you have to add a level of creativity to it. You have, you have to you know, use some of these different things. Some will work for you, some may not. But these are things that keep me engaged because it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to start thinking about all the things I have to do the rest of the day. 
It's so easy to look back at things that happened the day before that may be bothering me a little bit. It's so easy to lose focus. But if you're using techniques, they help you to stay focused, to stay in communion with the Lord. They can minister to you. So I think that's when people used to say to me when I was a new believer, I pray for three hours. I'd be like, how can you pray for three hours? Because I can pray in two minutes and have my entire list, my entire shopping list, right? I roll it out. Here it is, Lord. Here's everything I want. And in two minutes, I'm done. How can you pray? How can you pray for 15 minutes? How? Because prayer is so much more than just giving God your shopping list. It's communing with Him. And this, this is prayerful study, meditation. It is prayer. When we talk about meditation in the church, people in the East, they empty their minds. What do we do? We fill our minds. We don't empty our minds. Be careful if you empty your mind, what's going to creep into it. Seriously. I think that's why you see so much demon possession in those countries that do that. When you fill your mind, you're filling your mind with the Word of God. You're filling your mind with communion with Jesus. Okay. Reward. So you detach from the world. You detach from the darkness. You engage, okay, and connect with the light. There's a reward in this life and the next. And in Psalm 1 verse 3, He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. What a blessing! He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, like a tree of, of, of like just a, a, a tree that is right. Your soul is refreshed with the waters of the Lord. It is renewed each day. It is energized. It is empowered. In John chapter four fourteen, Jesus said, "But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst." But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Just bubbling up. That's the, the living way. We're, we're planted by the living waters. And his waters are just bubbling up in, inside of us. Look at Psalm, Psalm. I love Psalm 84, verse 5 through 7. It says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca. Do you know what the valley of Baca is? Dead. It's dead. We, we, we pass through the valley of Baca every day. We're surrounded by dead people. Folks, these people are dead. The, these people, unless they turn to Jesus, they're going to be in hell for eternity. And that's the majority, I don't know about you, it's the majority of people that I'm crossing, you know, crossing paths with. So we, we walk through the, he walks through the valley of Baca, right? but they make it a spring. They, they turn that is dead. Like here's this, this desert and everything's dead, right? You got dead bones there. You got dead trees there, right? There's not a flower anywhere. They walk through and they turn it into a garden. They bring life where there's death, right? They bring hope where there's hopelessness. They bring peace where there's chaos, they bring joy where there's, minis- there's min- misery. And the rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. They are like a tree planted by living waters who bring forth fruit in season. This, this person, they have disengaged from the world, from the darkness, and they have engaged God through his word, and they bring forth fruit in season. Bible talks about all kinds of fruit, right? You have the fruit of winning souls, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of praise, the fruit of your lips, and the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And then it says, His leaf does not wither. My leaf will not wither. You ever see people... They're withering away like a leaf, right? We see this. We see people in the church who were once so alive, so filled with the Spirit, so filled with God, engaging in ministry, serving God, the joy of the Lord, and they're withering away. 
I'll tell you what happens. Again, they begin to engage the world. They engage the world. They, they begin to allow the world to speak into their lives. They disengage from the word of God. And they begin to wither away and die. They're dying spiritually. They're dying. But this person, they're not, they're not withering away. Their leaves do not wither. And then it says, whatever you do will prosper. Whatever you put your hand to, there's levels of success. There's levels of prosperity. I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel here to you. But I believe they prosper in their souls. They prosper in their ministries. They, they prosper in their lives. Look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 through 8. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, nor shall you meditate, uh, nor shall you, uh, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It's talking about, if you stay in my word, Joshua, and you're obeying my word, you're going to have success in the victories over the Canaanites, over the Perizzites, over the Ammonites, and over all the ites. That's your success. There's your prosperity. If you stay in my word, meditating on my word, and that's the blessing that comes to the person who detaches and, again, attaches themselves to God and his word. And that's a promise from the Lord. By the way, that, that is a signature passage of mine. I am like a tree planted by streams of water. Sometimes I throw in streams of living water. But I am planted, I am like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season. My leaf does not wither, and whatever I do prospers. God has blessed me with that through my life. Last thing here, ungodly or godly. And this is the final word. Verses 4 and 6. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chafe which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You have a choice every day. Many times during the day. Do you realize life is a series of choices? You have a choice to disconnect from the darkness. You have a choice to shut off the TV, to turn off the, the channel, to refuse to allow that, that certain person to speak into your life. Unbelief, negativity, fear, sin. And you have a choice to connect with God through his word. And that is a choice that you are given many, many times. You're given it when you go to bed at night. You're given it when you wake up in the morning. You're given it numerous times through the day. And that choice will determine, okay, whether you're like a fruitful tree that bears its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever you do prospers. Great poem, Robert Frost. I love the poem. Two roads diverged in the wood, and I took the one less traveled by. We are on a road less traveled by, folks. If you haven't noticed that, look around at people, your family members, your friends, your neighbors. We travel on a road that is less traveled by. Jesus made that so clear. It's narrow, and only a few travel on it. The wide road is, is heavily traveled, heading towards a door that's very narrow while the world is heading towards a door that's very wide. And that has made all the difference. And it has made all the difference in my life. You bow your heads and we'll pray. Take a, a, just a, a few moments here to examine your hearts. Again, to look at yourself. Are you disengaging? Are you disconnecting? And are you connecting with God as he wills for you. Taking the most of the opportunities that he gives you each day to connect with him. And are you enjoying the blessing of what God has given to you? Take a moment. I just want to give them just a moment in prayer.
Christian life is not complicated. Growing spiritually and in grace is not complicated. You want to grow more in Jesus? You want to enjoy more of his peace and his love and his joy and his fellowship and his presence? Disconnect from the world and connect to God. Walk in the spirit. Stop walking in the flesh. Dwell in the kingdom. Stop dwelling in the world. And you will enjoy a much richer, deeper, and more fulfilling Christian life. No mystery. No mystery. It's pretty simple, right? Stand with me. I'm closing the song. Thank you, Pastor Frank. I love Psalm 1. It's so precious. I remember learning years ago that the man is walking. He's not walking in the counsel of the ungodly, right? So, and then he's not, he's stopping and then he's sitting, right? So it's like there's something happening there where the action's in the wrong direction. He's sitting, he's walking with the wrong people, he's sitting with the wrong, he's stopping with the wrong people, and then he's sitting, you know, a progression in the wrong direction. Great lesson. The altars are open if you want to come up in the front and pray a little bit as we close. Let this be your prayer tonight. Father, draw me closer. Draw me closer.